Hey, if you're new here with us, my name is Tim. I get the privilege, along with my wife Sharon, to pastor this church. Um, and you haven't heard from me in a couple of weeks because we've had just this incredible opportunity to hear from uh, some amazing people. So just on a Sunday, now that you are going to deal with me for the next little bit, uh, I just want to give a shout out to Kristen Esmerly, who preached her first Sunday sermon here at Life Church uh, just a few weeks ago. Just did an awesome job. Uh, I still hear people telling me they are waiting for the next time that you're going to talk. So uh, come on Wednesday night because that's the next time you're going to talk, right? Gotcha. Um, and then uh, we had friends from South Africa. Uh, my friend Maxie Kamalski preached a couple Sundays ago, and Pastor Sharon preached last Sunday. Uh, we we're just we've just got a, a, a bunch of women three weeks in a row, just women preaching the, the word. In case you were wondering whether or not ladies are allowed to preach. Um, we're just a whole month of women preaching. Uh, it's pretty awesome. So, uh, so sorry that you have to deal with, with this guy today, uh, but we are going to get into the Word. In fact, we're going to continue uh, a series today. We've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and you just heard Pastor Mark reading to us uh, our scripture reading, which is really the, the last chunk of Ephesians chapter 4, where we are at in our journey through the book of Ephesians. Uh, and so as we are about to get into that text today, let me just remind you a little bit of the context where, where we're at. What are we actually doing as we're walking through the book of Ephesians? Now, Paul is writing, uh, this, is, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians who lived in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus was a port city, and it was a very influential city, and it was a city greatly influenced by the rest of the world by means of the trade arrangements, and uh, the, the influence that was able to come in was both cultural and also religious. And so Ephesus was a, a city of multiple different kinds of beliefs and, and faiths, and, and then in the middle of this city, influenced by the rest of the world, was this growing community of Christians, people who followed the way of Jesus. And so Paul felt like it would be important to write a letter to these people so that they would know uh, how to hold on to the truth in the middle of this world greatly influenced by uh, the surrounding community and culture and religious beliefs. And then in the second half of this book that we've been in now for the last several weeks, we're going to continue until we get to the end. Paul is really interested, not just in do you know what the gospel is, but do you know how the gospel should impact your everyday life? And so as we got into the beginning of chapter 4, we heard about gifts that were given to the church. We've heard a big argument for unity. Paul really wants us to be unified, to stick together and, and hold together in relationship. Uh, and, and then he talks about our need to live differently from the rest of the world. In fact, if you were here last Sunday, this is what Sharon was preaching to us from Paul's letter. Don't live like the Gentiles. Don't live like the people who don't follow the way of Jesus. Put off the old person and put on the way of Jesus. Live differently. And so now what he's going to do is he's going to move into this this series of commands. In fact, there's six commands that he really gives us in this next passage that we would refer to as the end of chapter four. And he tells us these six things. You heard Mark read them to you, but just as a kind of a giving each of these a title or to recap, he says, don't be a liar. That's actually what we're going to talk about today. Don't be a liar. Look at your neighbor real quick and just say, don't be a liar. Don't be a liar. 
It's good. Doesn't it feel good to say that to your neighbor? Just to, don't be a liar, right? Then he goes on and he says, don't sin in your anger. Don't steal. Don't be a potty mouth. Talk about that in a few weeks. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, then, then at the end, the, the sixth command is kind of a shotgun approach. It's basically Paul's way of saying, hey, everything else that just covers you being a jerk, don't be that. That's how it kind of wraps up chapter 4 of Ephesians. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through all of those six commands. And we're going to start today by talking about lying. So listen again to Paul's command here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. He says, therefore, put away lying. Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Now, what I want to do with you today is just basically break this down into three things that the Apostle Paul would hope to see us doing, or, or three ways that he would hope to see us living as it relates to the things that we say and do connected to this idea of truth and Lying. So the first thing, is, this is going to be really obvious. You probably could have come up with this as the first sermon point. I'll tell you that the first thing Paul wants to see is no lying. No lying. Duh. It's the first thing he says in there, right? Put off lying and speak the truth. Now, can you think of a time that you got caught in a lie? Don't tell your neighbor. <laughs> but I'll tell you mine. I'll tell you the one, one of the unfortunately many that came to mind as I was writing this sermon this week. I remember a time when I was in elementary school, and uh, this is an ironic story because I'm now a college professor, and I give homework assignments. And I remember when I was in elementary school, I didn't want to do the homework assignments that my teacher gave to me. I know you probably can't relate to this at all. I used to take the homework assignments, the, the papers that my teacher would send me home with to do and turn in the next day or turn in the next week. I would take those, and I had a place in my dresser in my room where there weren't clothes. There were just, like, junk and toys and stuff. It was the bottom drawer. I had, like, three drawers on my dresser, and the bottom one was just my stuff. And so I figured my mom is not going to look in there when she puts my laundry away. So I'm going to put all of my homework assignments in that drawer. And I did that for about two weeks. And every day I would come home and my mom would say, hey, what homework do you have? I'd say, mom, I don't have any homework. I got all my work done at school today. I've got no homework. And I would take my homework and I would cram it in that drawer. Now, I'm not always the brightest person when I'm trying to be deceitful, especially. Uh, I'm not good at it, which I guess is a great thing, is that I'm not very good at lying and being deceitful. Um, and so it didn't take me very long to get caught, and here's how I got caught. I didn't think through that I should close my bedroom door as I was hiding my homework, and I especially didn't think through the fact that my dresser was right here, and my bedroom door was right here, and the kitchen was just right there. And so one day, I've been lying to my mom about my homework for a couple of weeks, and I had this homework. I, could, I remember it vividly. It was a green construction paper and some instructions for what I was supposed to do with this assignment. And I remember taking that out, and kind of, it was kind of like crumpled because I like shoved it at the bottom of my bag. I tried to make it as small as I could when I received it. 
And, and, and then I, and I, I went and I kneeled down in front of my dresser and I opened the drawer and I like had all these papers coming out the top of the drawer already because I've been doing this for a couple of weeks. And I shoved that paper in there and it was all crinkly and crunchy and loud. And I go to shove the drawer closed and I got to like shove all the papers back in there. And I look up and my mom is standing in the kitchen and she goes, what are you doing? Nothing. Nothing. I'm just putting, putting, cleaning my room, Mom. I'm just cleaning my room. I'm just putting my things away. I like a tidy room. That was also a lie. (laughs) My mom comes in. She goes, what do you put in the drawer? You know, we did that whole thing. And sure enough, I got caught in this lie. And I had a lot of homework to do. Now, when was the last time that you told a lie? Who did you lie to? Why did you do it? Some people all of a sudden avoiding my eye contact. When was the last time you told a lie? Now, if you're sitting there going, I don't have that problem, the last time you told a lie was just right then. (laughs) In fact, did you know that Americans tell an average of 11 lies every week? Gotcha. According to a study by the University of Massachusetts, 60% of people are not able to go 10 minutes without lying. Christians, you get like a solid hour, hour and a half on Sundays. Unless you didn't mean any of that stuff we were singing earlier. Okay, there's this other study that found that, that people actually lie more to strangers than friends and family. Uh, Men and women lie equally, but we lie about different things. Men, we are more likely to lie about our achievements. And women, you're more likely to lie to protect someone's feelings. Children start lying at the age of two, and research says that by the age of four, they are proficient at lying. And all the parents were like, yep, my research also proves that out to be true. 13% of patients admit to lying to their doctor. And for the introverts, just so you know, 21% of people say that they regularly lie to avoid having to spend time with other people. I can't go out tonight. I don't feel well. I've got to do my hair. The dishes have just been piling up. You have a dishwasher. So the dictionary defines lying in this way, to speak falsely or to utter untruth knowingly as with intent to deceive. And then furthermore says that lying is to express what is false to convey a false impression. So essentially lying is two things. Lying is to tell a falsehood or to present a false self. And so one way or the other, you're a liar. At some point in your life, we have all been like me when I was in elementary school, presenting something that is not quite the truth. And Paul is saying to put off lying. When he's saying that, he's saying no saying things that are not true. He's saying no pretending to be something that you are not. No exaggerating One preacher I heard actually linked gossip in with the function of lying. 
It's interesting. Saying things that are not the truth you have any business to say. And then Paul would also be saying not withholding a truth that needs to be told. Now, of course, this is not uh, some unique thing that Paul just thought would be a good idea just for the Christians in Ephesus. In fact, Scripture is full of commands about lying. For example, Leviticus 19.11 says, Do not act deceptively or lie to one another. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. Psalm 34.13 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Into the New Testament, Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. And then the, the big one, the whopper. The lying is so significant, it made it into the Ten Commandments. Right? In Exodus 20, verse 16, the ninth of the Ten Commandments, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. In the NIV, uh, Ephesians 4.25 says, put off falsehood. This idea of false testimony or falsehood is just don't say things that are not true, either about your neighbor or to them. In other words, don't lie. And Scripture, in the full counsel of Scripture, makes it clear that falsehood or lying is just as much about how we present ourselves to the world as what we say to the world. So, as we reflect on the lies that we have told, we would be really wise to not just consider the ways that we have said something that is untrue, but what are the ways that we've walked around in community and pretended that we are something that we are not? I know that none of you actually deal with this, but at some churches, people will actually walk into church and pretend that they are awesome, Bible-reading, never-sinning Christians, and then, like, Monday through Saturday would prove that you lied on Sunday. There's another probably more subtle way, uh, and, but just as problematic way that we do this in the church, is we come into church and somebody says, how are you doing? And we say, blessed and highly favored. How are you doing? I'm great. When you actually just had the worst week that you've ever had, you sinned 32 times since you woke up this morning, you got in an argument with your spouse on the way here, you don't even actually want to be here, and you're just like, I'm just here to worship Jesus today. I'm so good. You're not so good. You're lying. We do this. Why? Because in American church culture, we've actually trained ourselves that being a good Christian means you have to look like whatever version of a good Christian we think that... That's a lie. It turns out Jesus came to heal the sick. And we are each the sick. So it would be wise if we were honest about that, right? Okay, so just one more time for the people in the back, if you haven't been paying attention yet, okay. Paul says... The next time you feel like lying, he says, don't. Okay, I'll see you next week. No, actually, there's more that I think that we would need to get out of this passage. Not only does Paul just give us the command, no lying, but I think that we would need to go a little bit deeper. Not only just does Paul say no lying, but I think Paul would also want to see in us that we know the impact of lying. 
It's not just good enough for me as a parent to say, hey, you know what, kids, you should do your homework. I need to tell my kids why doing homework is important, right? Don't just tell the truth. Why do we need to tell the truth? Well, let's talk about the impact. In fact, Paul gives us a little bit of a clue in verse 25. He says, because we are members of one another. So we'll look, at, we'll look at the impact of lying on two fronts. We'll definitely look at the impact of lying on the members of one another, on the community. But let's start by looking at the impact that lying has just on you. Okay? In fact, lying has an impact specifically, scientifically proven to have a negative impact on your brain. There was this joint study that was done uh, by the University College of London and Duke University, where they partnered together and they, they, they put these peers together over an internet connection. And there was a series of, of tests that were run and they were studying the, the brain waves while these studies were happening. And in this study, there was actually an incentive for lying to your partner on the other side of the pod. And what they found, which was really interesting just looking at it on the surface, was that over time in this study, people began to lie more frequently and tell bigger lies. And then furthermore, they found this interesting scientific result. In fact, here's, here's an excerpt from their findings. The team scanned volunteers' brains while they took part in this task where they would lie for personal gain. And they found that the amygdala, the part of the brain associated with emotion, was most active when people first lied for personal gain. And the amygdala's response to lying declined with every lie while the magnitude of lies escalated. Crucially, the researchers found that large that, that larger drops in amygdala, amygdala activity predicted bigger lies in the future. In other words, you would start lying and you would feel it. And then over time, you would feel it less and you would lie more. In fact, the senior author of this research uh, wrote this, when we lie for personal gain, our amygdala produces a negative feeling that limits the extent to which we are prepared to lie. However, this response fades as we continue to lie. And the more it falls, the bigger our lies become, which leads to a slippery slope where small acts of dishonesty escalate into more significant lies. So our brains are actually wired to become desensitized to lying over time. Which is why you all related as parents to, I know my two-year-old started lying around that age, and by four they were pros at it. This is the science that backs that up. It's not just that we're all bad parents. It turns out that lying is addictive. <laughs> long before this research, by the way, like this has been something that we've known culturally for a long time. In fact, Thomas Jefferson is quoted to have said, he who permits himself to tell a lie once find it, finds it much easier to do it the second time. So Paul, and more importantly, God says, don't lie. Why? Because you will get addicted to it. And then furthermore, not only just a scientific, physical, neurological response to it, but lying also has spiritual effects. Psalm 107 verse 7 says, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. So simply put, what is God saying here? Lying separates us from God. Lying is sin, and sin separates us from God. 
So there's personal ramifications for our lying. And speaking of separation, let's talk about the ways that lying has an impact on those around us. Lying is not just a sin against God, but it is directly sin against the person being lied to. German philosopher uh, Friedrich Nietzsche writes about this response. It's interesting, kind of out of the norm of what Nietzsche would be uh, quoted as saying. He talks about the impact of being lied to. He says, I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on I can't believe you. See, lying in both our words and our presentation, it breaks relationship. It, it erodes trust. It, it makes it so that the thing that you told me or showed me that you were, when I put the weight of relationship on that, it crumbled because there wasn't any truth there to hold it up. I've done this in any way that I have lied to someone or presented something about myself that is not actually real. And all of this matters because, as Paul says, we are members of one body. So we continue to dig a little bit deeper. What are the impacts of lying? Well, it separates me from God. It separates us from each other. And then it makes us look bad. Paul says you're all members of one body. We're the body of Christ. So, Kyle, when you tell a lie, we have all lied. Thanks, buddy. I wish you would stop. You actually noticed the, the, uh, the implications. Kyle's going to be okay. Um, you saw the implications of this kind of unfold over the last several years, particularly over the last presidential election and uh, during all of the, the racial and social tensions of like 2020 to still, right? Every single time that someone that said that they were a Christian stood up and said something that didn't turn out to be true, it made the church look bad. It's highly problematic. Every single time someone stands up and says God said something that God didn't actually say, it makes us look bad. And maybe you're not worried about whether or not you look bad. It makes God look bad. God's people are liars? What does that say about the people they worship? The God, or the God that they worship, rather. We, we don't worship people. We worship one God. Okay, three people in one. Let me fix my mistake there. Okay, so let's review. The effects of lying are it desensitizes us to itself over time. So we become addicted to it. It's easier to do and easier to do larger over time. It separates us from God. It erodes trust in relationship, and it tells the world that the church is not trustworthy. So no wonder Paul says, put off lying. Don't do it. So then what do we do? Here's the third thing that Paul would want us to understand. He would want us to know how to speak the truth. It's good to say, hey, don't lie. But in a world that trains us to lie, in a world where we are wired mentally to be addicted to lies, where it becomes easier to tell more lies over time, we have to know how to undo our addiction to lies. How do we actually tell the truth? Well, I would propose to you something I think most of you will find very easy to agree with, that speaking the truth must first begin with knowing the truth. Right? 
Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. That's John chapter 8, verse 32. We understand that Jesus was talking about himself. You can't actually be a speaker of truth the way Paul means it if you don't know Jesus, who is truth, with a capital T. So you have to know the truth. This is where we begin. And this understanding then sets, our, sets us up to make this message really, really practical in our own lives. If we can begin with knowing that the truth sets us free, then we can go from there to say also speaking and living the truth sets us free. So once we come to know the truth about Jesus, then we have to also come to terms with the truth about ourselves that at some point along the way, and probably many times along the way, we have each been guilty of having told and lived lies. We need to speak the truth. In the church world, in Christian living and following the way of Jesus, that act of speaking the truth when we recognize that we have done something like lying as a sin, that act of speaking the truth is called confession. We've been saying at Life Church for the last couple of years that one of our goals is to normalize confession. We cannot build a church into the future where we normalize hiding. We have to normalize confession. In fact, just this morning before service, I texted Danny and Mark, who are two of my closest friends in the entire world, and just said, here is a moment of confession for me. I'm texting this to you, so it's, it's right there. I'm, I'm confessing to you so that when I stand up and tell the church to make confession a normal thing in their life, I'm not a big, fat hypocrite. Now, I won't tell you what I confess. That's actually none of your business. It's Mark and Danny's business. So that actually gets us to the next thing because Paul tells us to speak the truth to your neighbors. And I think in this context, neighbors are fellow Christians with whom you can trust your confession and who will point you back to Christ. So neighbors are fellow Christians who can be trusted with your weakness and who will strengthen you by pointing you to Jesus. And confession then is made whenever sin comes into our life. And then beyond confession of sin, speaking the truth, I think, involves living committed to several things. Let's, let's just say things that confession and speaking the truth looks like in our lives. Number one, not withholding anything that must be said. Not withholding a truth that must be said. Now, clarity on this. This does not mean that every single time you are aware of a truth that you say it to everyone. This is not a conversation about your social media uh, activity, except to say that's probably not a safe place to make confession, and it's also not necessarily always a safe place to tell the truth. Some of you actually found that out when you were speaking truth in the middle of a tense social moment, and you posted truth on social media, and then the world hated you for that. So let's be wise, but let's also speak the truth. Right? And by the way, just for cleaning that up a little bit and making sure that it's clear, if the Lord tells you to tell the truth in an environment where the world will hate you for it, Jesus did say that the world will hate you for his name. Right? So we're not saying let's just be afraid and just keep our opinions to ourselves. The point is wisdom that points to Jesus. 
Okay? So if your wisdom actually just points to how smart you are or how we should vote for your political candidate, just please just be quiet. Yep, I said that. Okay, so not withholding anything that must be said. I think speaking the truth along with confession of sin, not withholding those things that must be said in the place where it looks like wisdom also means don't exaggerate. Don't exaggerate. Whatever that looks like for you, don't exaggerate. I had this big problem where I was, when I was a younger person, just wrapped up in brokenness and really needed to impress the father figures, the men in my life for all kinds of different reasons connected to my story, that I just felt like I needed to impress people all the time. So I would exaggerate. Every time I felt like I had some kind of accomplishment, I would exaggerate it. And then when we started the church back in 2011, I was tempted to exaggerate the number of the people that came to the church as if other pastors would be impressed with me if we had 200 people coming to the church instead of 134. And then I had to figure out what I was going to do with that one Sunday when just Earl came to church. God bless you, Earl. <laughs> Just don't exaggerate. Just tell the truth. I think another place where we would become speakers of the truth would be presenting true versions of yourself to those around you. If you're hurting, tell the truth about that. How can the church help you if you're not honest about your pain? And if, by the way, you're doing great, you don't have to feel bad about that. Tell the truth about that too. We've covered this a little bit, but I think another area of speaking the truth looks like only saying things about God that are true. And the best way to know that you're doing that is check everything that you feel like saying about God with Scripture. And if you can't find it in there, just keep your mouth shut. Good. Okay, so let's wrap up. Let's, let's begin to put some flesh on this. Like, what does this actually look like tomorrow? This week, I'm going to give you a homework assignment in just a minute. But I, I think Paul's desire for us in putting off lying, speaking only the truth, presenting only the truth to each other is, is super practical. I'm going to give you some practical, here's something you could do this week. But before we get to that, let's do something practical right now. Can we take a moment and reflect? We've talked about confession And I don't think we get to confession unless we pause and think. I don't think that we get to what do I do with the places where I haven't been completely honest and truthful unless we give you a moment to stop and think. And the reality is that when you leave this place, we're going to go right into celebrating some water baptisms. And then by the time we're done with that, you're going to be hungry and you're going to go to lunch. And there is every chance that you go to bed at night tonight, you go to work tomorrow, and your life gets busy. And if we don't give you just a beat to stop and think about this, I feel like we'd be missing an opportunity. So let's just take one. Now, this is going to be uncomfortable for some of us. If this is a new practice for you, just to invite you to stretch and be uncomfortable. And it's going to be silent in this room. And in the silence, I'm going to just throw out some questions. And I just want to invite you to respond to these questions as if responding to the Lord. So could you just, for the next few moments, if you're taking notes, put your notes aside. If you've got a device out or any other kind of distraction, just put all that aside. 
And I want to invite you to just close your eyes. By the way, if you don't feel like closing your eyes in this church, if, if, if you're a visitor here and you don't feel safe or comfortable in that moment, no one's making you do anything. This is just an invitation. And you could feasibly do this practice with your eyes open just as well as closed. But here with, in a moment of just focusing on the Lord, in a moment of being still before the Lord like we were invited earlier, the first question is this. What are the sorts of lies that you tell? Just pay attention to what comes to mind. You have a tendency to lie with your words, with your actions, the way you present yourself, things that you say or things that you don't say. What are the sorts of lies that you tell? Who are the people that you find it easiest to lie to? People that you know, family, friends, strangers, God, yourself? What would confession look and sound like? Who do you need to make confession to? Is there somebody you're now realizing you need to ask to forgive you? Are you now realizing that you need to ask someone to hold you accountable to the truth? I'm going to give you one more moment. Something has certainly come to your mind. If you've been paying attention in this moment to what God might say to you and to the thoughts and feelings that come across for you, I just want to give you one more moment here. If there's anything you need to say to the Lord, this would be a moment to say it. In the quietness of where you are, you don't need to say it out loud. I just want to invite you. God, as we speak to you, we're reminded of Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We receive grace and forgiveness from you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge. We receive grace and forgiveness today. In fact, you might need to say that exact thing to the Lord right now. If you just made confession to the Lord in this moment, I just want to invite you to say that exact thing. God, I receive grace and forgiveness from you today. Amen. Okay, now before we move on, you just handled some business with the Lord. Why don't you take a good deep breath? Remember that you're here, that you're okay, that everything is good, that God meant it when he said he forgives you. God is good. Amen? Amen. Okay, now, for the serious 
speakers of truth in the room, I have a homework assignment for you. I'm a teacher. I can't help myself. I'm going to give you homework, okay? So here is your homework assignment. Uh, this is, maybe, maybe you don't like the word homework. It's a challenge. It's a dare. However it needs to land for you. If you're serious about this, here's something you can do. We're just going to leave this up on the screen. But I would invite you to do this this week. Create a place, maybe it's on your phone or a handwritten journal, where you can actually create and write a daily truth reflection. So you can actually come back to this every single day. What would it look like for me to reflect on the way I am engaging truth in my life every single day? The second thing that you would do then is as you have that place created, every single time that you are aware of either having told or presented a lie or being tempted to lie or present something that is untrue, then just go and write that thing down. By your way, it's almost like you're saying rather than telling the lie, I'm going to go write down that I wanted to. Or maybe afterwards you can come and you say, I did want to, and then I did. And so I'm going to write that down. So here's what you would write. Write about why you wanted to lie. And don't get so wrapped up in what the lie was. Dig a little bit deeper into the important question. Why did you do that? What was motivating you? Were you afraid? Were you trying to impress somebody? Were you trying to win something? And then the fourth thing that you do is pray. And by the way, when I do this sort of practice, I write down my prayer. So that when I come back later, I can go, oh, yeah, that's the thing I prayed. And I committed to the Lord in that moment. I pray then to confess and receive the grace and forgiveness of God. And then fifth, I would share, this is the challenge, share this daily reflection with your neighbors. So who are the neighbors? Who are those safe people who will point you back to Jesus? Share this with them. And then rinse and repeat as needed. So we're going to leave that up on the screen for you today. So you can, I saw some of you already taking pictures. If you want to grab one, uh, if you haven't done that already, if you want to, uh, if you're writing it down, that's totally cool. But here would be my challenge. Do this every single day for a week and see at the end of the week how you feel about telling the truth. Do this for several weeks and see what happens in your habits of telling the truth as opposed to the habits in the places where you have a tendency to tell lies. Now, as a final uh, act of our gathering in this place today, remember in just a few minutes after this, we want you to go grab your kids if they're in Life Kids and uh, meet us outside for some water baptisms, but, but I, I would be honored if I could pray a blessing over you before we dismiss you from this place. Uh, would you join me in standing to your feet as we honor the time that we've had with the Lord uh, today? And I'm always reminded in, in moments like this that we don't just serve uh, some vague God, but that this God presents himself as the king of kings, that he is the captain of heaven's armies, that he is, he is a conqueror and a ruler and a king. He's royal and holy and beautiful and always good. We are, we are standing before this God today. And so, God, as we close this moment, we thank you for everything you have said to us and through us today. And I pray this blessing over my friends in the name of Jesus. May you be greatly unsatisfied with anything other than truth. May your life be marked by the truth and the love of Jesus so that you will feel no need or desire to live or to speak anything other than the truth. May the truth that you speak and live bring peace and joy to your life and position you to be a blessing in the world. May you know the truth. 
May the truth set you free. And through you, may the truth set others free. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.